Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Welcome back to our podcast. My guest today is Dr. Bruce Lipton, an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. A stem cell biologist, the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, and a recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award, Dr. Lipton has been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as a keynote presenter for national and international conferences. Dr. Lipton began his scientific career as a cell biologist. He received his PhD from the University of Virginia at Charlottesville before joining the Department of Anatomy at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine in 1973. His research at Stanford University School of Medicine between 87 and 92 revealed that the environment operating through the membrane controlled the behavior and physiology of the cell, turning genes on and off. His discoveries, which ran counter to the established scientific view that life is controlled by the genes, predicted one of today's most important fields of study, the science of epigenetics. Now, this is especially of interest to our ADHD movement, since the field of epigenetics essentially proves that ADHD is not a so-called genetic disorder and that nobody is predetermined to have it, and in the worst case scenario, simply is predisposed to it. But the power is within our minds and our ability to change our environments to better serve our individual human life experiences. Therefore, I'm super excited to welcome the most passionate biologists I know, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Welcome. I am delighted to be here, you know, and I so appreciate this opportunity because so much new science is coming out that challenges everything we were programmed to believe. It's a revolution in this time. And the most important part about this revolution is when you understand the new biology, it's a revolution in personal empowerment. Uh, uh, when you understand who we really are uh, and how powerful we are uh, and why we have trouble expressing that power, uh, because once you know this, uh, we are free. And this is required in the evolution that civilization is now facing. Beautiful. I love that. I love that intro. And, you know, it's funny when I looked up, uh, uh, obviously, your work I've been familiar with, but I looked up some of the biographies and the descriptions and, and, you know, there's certain descriptions that talk about like contrary to current science, science. And I'm thinking, wait, which science? Because people say science is real. Yeah, but which science are you talking about? And I'm sure you get this a lot, right? Like, Oh, you should have been there with me when I first talked about this in the public about 1980. <laughs> wow. Because that was a science and they were like, what science? <laughs> it was like, but it was science. And, and it took until 1990 for, for conventional science even to recognize what I was talking about, you know, so. Would you say you back then sort of the field of epigenetics essentially came out of the 80s there? Oh, um, well, for me, it came out in the 60s. <laughs> that, that was a, definitely a time of upheaval. Uh, you know, uh, the whole world was crazy. And uh, I, I was working uh, at the University of Virginia on stem cells. 
Now that was 1967. So the first thing I have to say is the number of people in the whole world that even knew what a stem cell was, I'd probably count them on my fingers and toes at that point. So I had a unique opportunity to work with something and, and people, well, what are stem cells? So we need to know that because everyone uses stem cells. I go, no, no. A human body is made out of 50 trillion cells. It's a very interesting point that we'll discuss uh, because we think of ourselves as a single entity and the truth is no, we are community. It's the cells that are the living entity. <laughs> and so uh, we're far enough away to look and see all the cells, but it looks like one thing, but 50 trillion cells. And I go, why is that relevant? And I go, because every day uh, we lose hundreds of billions of cells die naturally, skin cells, hair cells. Uh, the lining of the entire digestive tract is replaced every three days. It's like hundreds and hundreds of billions of cells. And I go, where are they getting these cells from to replace all these dying cells? And the answer is stem cells are in our body. And let me just make it simple because stem cell is another word for embryonic cell. So all of us, our bodies are complete with embryonic cells. If anybody says, do I have stem cells? I say, are you alive? <laughs> because if you don't have stem cells, you have a very short lifespan because if you're losing billions of cells every day, boom, it's gone downhill. So uh, I was working with these stem cells and I was teaching in the classroom uh, the concept called genetic determinism. That's what most people have, are, are, you know, have been brainwashed with. And I go, what does that mean? Genetic determinism, genes determine the character of your life. And then everybody started to get nervous about, oh my God, there are these genes being passed down in my family and I'm gonna get these things. Now I'm gonna be a victim and then I can't do anything about it. And I go, let me, let me just say, what was I teaching when I was teaching genetic determinism? One, as far as we know, you didn't pick the genes you came with. Two. If you don't like the characteristics provided by these genes, you can't change them. And three, add on top of this, that we were programmed that genes turn on and turn off on their own. And then I go, well, why is that relevant? I go, then we, by definition, are pre-programmed at the moment of conception by a set of genes that we have no control over, and we become victims of our heredity. And that's a, a belief that is instilled in almost everyone. I go, now, first thing is this, I'm, while I'm doing the teaching of that in the classroom, I'm working with these embryonic cells. And, uh, and you grow cells in a Petri dish, you, you grow them in an environment called culture medium. I go, culture medium, yeah. What is culture medium? We're gonna come back to this very important point. Culture medium is a laboratory version of blood. If I grow human cells, I say, well, what's human blood made out of? And I put those components together, mix them up, and it's called uh, culture medium. Grow mouse cells, I got a different recipe. So I go, so why is it relevant? And I go, well, it turned out that I was cloning stem cells. And that simply means this. I put one stem cell in the Petri dish all by itself, and it divides every 10 hours. So first it's one, then there's two, and then there's four, and eight, and doubling, and doubling. And after a week, 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. And I go, so? I go, they all came from one parent. And I go, so why is that relevant? I say, I have 30,000 genetically identical cells. I go, so what? And I go, I split them into three different Petri dishes. And I go, all the dishes have the genetically identical cells. But I made slight change in the culture medium, slight chemical change. 
So uh, since it's environment, I say, okay, culture medium, environment A, culture medium, environment B. Oh, I made three culture media, put them into each of the dishes, one on each dish, and in one dish, the cells form muscle, and another Petri dish with a different environment, the cells form bone, and in a third dish yet, again, with a different chemical <laughs> culture medium, uh, the cells form fat cells. And, and I, you have to stop for a moment and go, because I'm, I'm watching this and go, wait a minute, all the cells are genetically identical, but their fates were very different. And then it comes down, so wait, the genes didn't control the fate. It was the environment that determined if it was gonna be muscle or bone or fat. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I'm teaching in the classroom genes control life. And I come in the laboratory research and it says, no, the environment that the cells are in controls the fate of the cells. Wow. And then you go, this is cool. And I go, yeah, this is cool. But then because I'm a biologist and deep into this, there's this other level. <laughs> I go, what is that other level? I go, as we mentioned, a human being is comprised of 50 trillion cells. So we are skin covered Petri dishes underneath your skin, your culture dish with 50 trillion cells in it. And I go, and guess what? You have the original culture medium, blood. So then the question comes right down to the bottom line. Does it make a difference if the cell is in the plastic dish or in the skin covered dish about its fate? And I go, nope, it's both. They're controlled by the environment, culture medium, blood. And I go, well, why is that relevant? And then we, we're, I'm getting out of this introduction in a second, Roman, but I'm going to continue. Oh, no, this right? is fa it's fascinating. No, no, this is great. <laughs> so I say, okay, so the blood is the chemistry that determines the fate of the cells, determines which genes are going to be read. So I go, oh, then I go, well, in the laboratory, I'm the chemist. I make the culture medium. Who's the chemist that makes the culture medium inside your skin-covered Petri dish? Because as I said, it doesn't make a difference to the cells in plastic dish or skin dish, it's still controlled by the environment. And then the blood, I say, ready? The brain is the chemist. Okay, that was cool, but no, no, no. Comes the most important question. What chemistry should the blood contain? What chemistry should the brain put into the blood? And the answer is the most outrageous. And the answer is this, whatever picture you hold in your mind, the brain translates that picture into chemistry that is complementary to the picture. It's like paint by numbers in reverse. Here's the picture, the chemistry is the paint, and I go, here's the picture and the chemistry is there and the brain takes that chemistry and, and puts it into the body and the body then becomes the image of the thought. Wow. And it's like, I say, so why is it relevant? I go, oh my goodness, then your, your body is not adjusting to the real life. Your body is adjusting to your interpretation of that real life. Mm. So your body can adjust to any environment, but what picture you put in your head, it, it determines which chemistry. A, a very simple point is uh, if you open your eyes and you see someone you love, the brain releases love chemistry. I go, what do you mean love chemistry? Well, there's dopamine, that's pleasure. That, that's, oh, I'm in love, pleasure, okay? And you get oxytocin and you're in love. And I go, that it dropped into the blood is bonding to your lover. And vasopressin, mm -hmm. another chemical when you're in love makes you more attractive to keep your partner there. And, and growth hormone. 
This is released when you have a picture of love. Growth hormone is why when I say when people fall in love, they go, oh, see how they glow. They're so in love. I go, that glow is chemistry. It's the chemistry of the blood that is complementing a picture of love. I go, great. Now look at this. But if you open your eyes and you see something that scares you, you do not release love chemistry. You release stress chemistry. Oh, what's that? I go, completely different chemistry, completely different outcome. I go, what do you mean? Well, cortisones, corticosteroids, uh, um, histamine, uh, inflammatory regulators, cytokines. And I go, what, why is that relevant? They change the body from a growth, protect, you know, growth is love, growth hormone. They change it from growth into protection. I go, so why is that relevant? I say, because protection uses different systems in the body than growth uses. So I take the energy, if I'm being chased by that saber-toothed tiger, fear, I take the energy from things that I don't need while running from a tiger and use that energy to run from the tiger. The more blood energy I have, the more I can run from the tiger. But if I'm using that energy to grow, make more hair cells, make more skin cells or whatever, it's like, now that's not useful right now. That that energy, you know, it's like you're just making more food for the tiger before it gets there, you know. Uh, and, and then I go. Um, so I say. Uh, so guess what? Stress hormones shut off the growth mechanisms to get the energy available to run away. So growth all of a sudden shuts down. You're in a in a fight fight or flight thing. More importantly. The immune system, which uses tremendous amount of energy because when people get sick, you know, they don't even have energy to get out of bed because there's a lot of energy. So I go, well, if you have a case of diarrhea, bad bacteria, and you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, how would you like to split the energy? How much energy do you want to fight the bacteria and how much energy do you want to run away from the tiger? And the no-brainer is the hell with the bacteria, man. If the catch, tiger catches me, bacteria is not my problem. It's now the tiger's problem. But, but the point about it is this. I shut down the immune system. Why? Because that's internal protection, and I'm trying to save my ass from a tiger out here. And so uh, I shut down the immune system with stress hormones. I go, why is it relevant? I go, in this world, we have blamed illness of all kinds on genetics. Fact of science, less then 1% of disease is connected to genes. Less than 1%. And then where's all the disease coming from? And the answer is, it's coming from the relationship we have with the environment, how we respond to the world, and how the brain chemistry adjusts the whole biology of what's going on inside to match the vision of what we hold. And I go, so why is this so relevant? And the answer is, we blame everything on genetics when it's all basically lifestyle and programming. And that's where the ADHD comes in. That's a programming problem. Okay. And I go, why is it relevant? Because we have in the past before epigenetics, that's the science. I didn't even mention the name. Epigenetics is the science of how environment controls genes. Okay. And I go, uh, well, what sounds like genetics? Okay. Uh, let's just say uh, this character is under genetic control, that simply translates as this character is controlled by genes. But if I say this character is under epigenetic control, I go, that's a revolution. I go, why? Epi means above, like the skin, 
is called epidermis because underneath the layer of skin is a layer called dermis and above it is epidermis, okay? So if I say this character is under epigenetic control, it translates exactly as this character controlled by factors above the genes. I go, the genes didn't control this? I go, no. It was the chemistry of the brain that created the environment in which the cells adjusted their genetics to conform to the environmental information. And I go, oh, environment controls genes. I go, epigenetics. And I go, so why is it relevant? And the answer, the first thing is this. What were we teaching in the classroom? Genetic determinism. Genes control your life. Now what are we teaching? Environment. I go, well, why is that relevant? Because we can adjust the environment. We can change the environment. We influence the environment. I go, wait a minute then. We are controlling our genetics, not the genes controlling us. I go, yes. And I go, why is that relevant? It's the greatest revolution in science that people haven't caught on to yet. It's like, I'm a victim of this, and this is running through my family. You know, there's uh, cancer is running through my family, and I have a cancer gene. You ready for this fact? There is not one gene that causes cancer. Wait a minute. What about all the cancer genes? A gene is a blueprint, and it's called into play when you need to manufacture something. And I go, so why is it relevant? Well, I'll give an example. Uh, so many women out there are so concerned about the breast cancer gene, BRCA, okay? And I go, wow, they go get a test and the, what is the consciousness? What is the consciousness when a, when a woman receives a diagnosis, she has breast cancer gene? I can get breast cancer. That's what, I go, well, that's a bad vision. Why? Because the brain is translating the picture into chemistry that complements the picture. And I go, well, wait a minute. And I go, people are familiar with one aspect of how the brain controls this, and that is called the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. What's that? You got an illness, no drugs are able to treat you. The doctor says, I got this brand newest, newest research drug. It's just for you. It's perfect. And you believe this. You take the pill, you get better. And then you find out the pill is a sugar pill. And you're only left with a conclusion. Well, then what the heck made you better? And the answer, of course, was, the belief in the sugar pill. Ha! And everybody goes, that's called placebo. And I go, well, that's great. And I go, you know why? Because everyone understands that's positive thinking about a drug or a therapy that fixed them. And I go, and here's the problem for all of us. And this comes right into the issue of even we're going to talk about ADHD and everything, is that a positive thought leads to a healing called placebo effect. And no one talks about, what about a negative thought? And it's like, oh my God, it's equally powerful as a positive thought, but it works in the opposite direction. Placebo can cure you of any illness. And a, called nocebo, negative one, can cause any illness. You can die just because you believe you're going to die. And all of a sudden it's like, oh no. A, I'm creating this world. Oh, no. My negative thoughts, which happen to outnumber my positive thoughts, are in the lead and <laughs> manifesting my life expression. And all of a sudden, it's like, I am creating this. And it's like, cancer? Yeah. Diabetes, for sure. That's just diet. <laughs> heart disease. <laughs> 90% cancer and heart disease 
are all due to life stress. 90%, okay? Diabetes type two, 100% diet and stress, okay? Stress is the killer. And the idea is we have been programmed. Oh my God, how long ago? I could tell you, you know when? 1859, what the heck happened in 1859? Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. I go, so what the hell does that have to do with it? The byword, not that Darwin wrote it, but the byword for Darwinian theory is a struggle for survival and the competition for life. I go, what does that mean? A scientific principle that we are struggling to stay alive, which is a rat race. You gotta go out there and compete or you're gonna lose. That's a stressor. Now, every day you wake up, it's can I pay the rent? Can, can I get health care? Will I have enough food at the end of this week? I go, when people wake up like that every day, that is an absolute stressor. And I go, so why is it relevant? You think there's any positive thinking in that circle? Hell no, they're all like, oh my God, the roof is gonna cave in on me. And I go, and every picture of a stress is squeezed out of the brain in the form of chemistry complementary to that stress. Wow. So you can create cancer without, matter of fact, 90% of cancer doesn't even have hereditary linkage. No, it's, it just arises in the individual. So how can it arise in the individual? It's like, what is the self-destructive picture that you have mm. the program with? Mm. And self-destructive picture. Finally, after that long introduction, Roman. Uh, no, that was that, that was more than an introduction. I mean, I think you've <laughs> sort of laid the basis for now. Anything we talk about is either like you know, I say it's empowering to know that it's the environment, but it also puts great responsibility in our shoulders to own our life. Yeah. Now that let's bring that up right away because before we go any further, that's the first thing that people are going to go. Now listen, Lipton, I, I didn't want cancer. What the hell you think? You're going to blame me for my cancer? I'm not taking a blame for cancer. And I go, there's a very important insight. When you know this information, it's the first time you know this information. I go, so what? I said, you didn't have this information 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I said, what did you get programmed with in your belief 20 or 30 or 40 years ago? And I go, oh, victim genetics. I have nothing to do with this thing. It's just happening to me. I said, and so the result is this. Knowledge is power. Listen to this, same sentence. A lack of knowledge is a lack of power. And we have been systematically deprived of personal empowerment. So we're left to believe what? I'm a victim of this world. Yeah. And I say, so what? And I say, if that's your program, then how can you do it? If you've been programmed to be a victim, then you have to say, listen, it's not my life. It happened to me. I, I didn't do this, you know? And I go, the cancer. I go, no, I didn't do that. And I go, that's true. You are not responsible for anything up to this moment. I go, what do you mean? I say, wait a minute. I'm gonna give you the science of how you are creating this. Uh, now, if you understand the science of how you're creating it, you have power. But uh, and a lack of knowledge is a lack of power. If you had no knowledge of this, you had no personal involvement in your life because you've been programmed to be a victim. And I say, why is that important? I say, this, this is cool. Because when you're a victim, you will pay anybody to take care of you because I'm a victim. You got, you got a big stick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll pay you. I don't know how my body works, but here's money. You fix my body. 
because yeah. you fix things. I don't fix things. I go, wait, you cause them to break. You can cause them to get fixed again. Uh, and the wake up call here is when we start to get on the neurological disorders and all of a sudden I say, wait, well, wait, what's this disorder? And I go, well, there's a bunch of symptoms. I go, oh, really? I go, what do you call that? I, well, there's a book, the DSM, you know, Diagnostic Statistical Manual. I go, well, what about that? I go, oh, it's a collection of symptoms. I say, do they actually represent diseases? And it says, about half of them might be connected to science, but more than half of them have zero science. They're just an inventory of, of behavior. And I go, so why is it relevant? You're, you're assigning uh, a scientific foundation to an observation that has no scientific foundation. And I said, well, why is that important? Because first of all, epigenetics comes in and everything that up to this moment was based on genes, all of a sudden it's, well, maybe it's not based on genes. Well, that's a new way of looking at it because the old way was there's a gene. There's a gene for this. There's a gene for Alzheimer's, a gene for alcoholism, a gene for cancer. And I say, no. Why? 50% of the women that carry the breast cancer gene never get the cancer. I say, so why is that relevant? I say, you mean you can have the gene and not get the cancer? I go, absolutely. The gene shows up not because it activates itself. The gene shows up because that individual's life is not in harmony. And as a result, you're manifesting this because you're not living in harmony with your world, your mind, and your environment. And that's when illness comes into the system. Wow. And why is that relevant? Because stop thinking that all of this stuff is genetics and chemistry. It is chemistry, but not the pharmaceutical BS, that, uh, that's belief system, not the pharmaceutical stuff, because that's a manipulation. <laughs> and that's trying to say, well, you have a problem and, and somewhere in the pathway, something is wrong. And if I find we're in the pathway of that process, something I could add a chemical like Prozac. I go, wow, Prozac is what? Well, it's about depression. I go, oh, that's one of the biggest selling drugs on the planet. I go, yeah. Scientific fact, scientific fact that it, its power is not much greater than a placebo. About a third of the people will have an influence, which is actually the same number as a third of all medical tests and trials. One third minimum placebo. Wow. One third. You know what's, what's, yeah. what's, to me, what's so frustrating is that I've interviewed in six years now since our son got diagnosed and I just wanted him diagnosed to know what they think, but I knew it was bullshit belief system. Um, but, you know, it's frustrating to talk to parents and 80% of the parents say, well, it's genetic. Huh? And, and I go, but no, it's not. No, it is. Science says it's genetic. You can look it up. I'm like, please, I need, I need Dr. Bruce Lipton here to, to lay down the biology, <laughs> the science, because I, I agree. It's not genetic. The environment, which I love what you said about the culture and the Petri dish. It's such a metaphor for the culture being our environment, right? Like, like programming us. That's amazing how it, it is. This, this is it. Because you see, what I first found out was this, my research on those stem cells revealed that the environment was controlling the genes. Okay. But then there's a very important part. If an amoeba is outside in the world in a pond, then the environment is directly influencing it. But what about your liver cell? I go, what do you mean? I said, does your liver cell see the environment? He said, no, it's under the skin. Well, then I said, how does it adjust itself to the environment? And the answer is the nervous system. I said, well, what's its function? 
read the environment, translate it, and then send instructions to adjust in response to the vision. And I go, well, why is that relevant? I said, well, if you have a distorted vision, then by definition, you've already distorted the chemistry that's in your body and that distorts the genetic activity of the cells. Wow, that's, that's, that's mind-blowing. Yeah, go ahead. Well, epigenetics is defined as control above the genes, and the answer is environment. I go, absolutely true. But then when it comes to the human, they say, well, it's controlled by the environment. Like, oh, where am I sitting here in New Zealand right now? That environment is influencing me. I say, no, no, my liver cell does not see this environment. My liver cell sees what I interpret from this environment. And I go, why is that relevant? Because we have filters <laughs> to look at the environment and to make interpretation. And I go, so why is it relevant? Well, if we have two people in the exact same environment with two different filters, they have two different biologies. One could be in that environment and go, oh, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. And the other one go, I'm afraid in here. I go, wait, the, the, I have two biologies, same environment. I say, yes, epigenetics environment. But when it comes to the human body, the cells inside my body do not have direct contact with the environment, but they are adjusting to that environment via the nervous system as a translator to tell the 50 trillion cells what's going on so that you can coordinate that running away from that tiger or whatever you need to do. Yeah, that's a great uh, insight that I just had because, you know, when you tell people, oh, it's the environment, they go like, How's that possible? Like, yeah, maybe watching TV or listening to bad propaganda. Okay, that's, that's part of it, but that's yeah. not, that's not the main part. That's why two people always could be in the same environment and have totally polar responses exactly. So it's not the environment; it's their interpretation. And I say, an interpretation is something we learn. And all of a sudden, now we start to go back. Uh, 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 and if I can summarize this woman, and again, I'm trying to. <laughs> no, no, this is great. <laughs> okay. Um, the brain is a computer. No doubt about it. It's a computer beyond any capability that humans have of creating a matching computer, but it is a computer. And I go, so why is it relevant? Well, then it shares characteristics of a computer. I go, what? Well, for example, there's a system. So let, let me give the analogy first. I go to the store right now, buy a new laptop, come home, push a start, it boots up. Now I say, do something. I go, I can't, I just, but I got a brand new computer. I say, I know the system is working, but not until you put a program into the system can you use that computer. I go, ah, so here's the, here's the point. Uh, once a program is in, the computer can run off of the program, but the person who owns a computer can type on the keyboard on add data, change data, change the program. Okay, so here's now take that computer. Let's make the analogy of a human brain, which is a computer. It's in the last trimester of uh, pregnancy that the boot up is occurring. It boots up, it's ready. I go, so what does it do? I said, well, now it needs to download programs. It's in utero. What kind of programs can it get in utero? And I go, Remember the culture medium? The blood is what controls the genetics. I go, yeah. And I say, so what? I say, whose blood is the fetus living off of during that development period? I go, the mother's blood. Oh, I go, so why? The chemistry in the mother's blood is adjusting the fetus to the response that the mother has in her world. If the mother is in stress, then stress chemistry in the blood crosses into the placenta 
and the baby is now bathed in stress chemistry. And I go, yeah, but that changes the functions. I go, absolutely. Absolutely it does. Uh, uh, and uh, I say, so why is it relevant? Well, what the mother eats is part of information coming through the blood. Okay. How the mother feels. Does the mother feel safe in her world or not safe? Why? If she's not safe, then she has stress hormones. If stress hormones go into the body, they're going to impact the, 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 the growth of that baby. Malnourished looking babies are in stress mothers. Why? Because the system isn't designed for growth with that chemistry. It's designed for protection. So here's a cool thing. And I, I'll add one more part. Remember I said there are two things right now with stress. Number one, shutting down the growth mechanisms to allocate the energy for running away. Number two, shutting down the immune system, allocate the energy for running away. But now in response, you're gonna use the nervous systems. So I go, oh, but guess what? There are two parts to that mind, conscious, wishes, desires, creative, and 90% or so subconscious, automatic, program, habit, no thinking, but fast, really fast. Conscious mind, slow. Subconscious mind, fast. So I go, so what do you think what happens when the stress hormones come in? Not only do they do those two things I mentioned, but they, how, how do they stop the growth? So this is going to be the connection. Uh, stress hormones cause the blood vessels in the gut to squeeze shut. And when it squeezes shut, then there's no blood flow to the gut. But now the blood extra is going to the arms and legs. Okay. Uh, and so I go, well, what else, what else happens? In the brain, the forebrain consciousness, the blood vessels in the forebrain shut down when stressed to do what? So that the blood now goes to only to the hindbrain. Why? Because that's where the action's gonna come from. The, the conscious is too slow. I, I, I'll demonstrate it here. My car is going out of control. It's skidding and here's me conscious brain. Oh, okay. And then I go, wait, but what happens? It starts to get out of control. What happens immediately? You're steering, hitting the brakes, moving, doing every action instantly. No thought. I say, how did that happen? I said, subconscious mind is reflex behavior, a million times more powerful in controlling the body than the conscious mind. So I say, then what happens is this is that in stress, uh, not only we shut the blood vessels in the gut down, shut down the immune system, but we shut down consciousness because it's too slow to respond in a world. And then we start acting by reflex, no thinking. And then that's all of a sudden when the world goes to hell, when you scare everybody, and all of a sudden they give up thinking and say, who's got the biggest club? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 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 and that's and that's where we are. That's, that's amazing. Day. And you know, so I'll now back, let's back up yeah. one second because I said, so what? Please. The blood is going into the uh, fetus, via the placenta, and I say, so what? Well, it's shutting down the growth mechanism, so the the physical body isn't really, you know, the mechanism, all the organs is not really up to far. But guess where the blood is going? Arms and legs. Oh, why? Because when this baby's born, it's going to have some hunking arms and legs. I go, why? Because that, if that world that the mother sees is that crazy, then a child with these honking arms and legs is going to have a better chance. And I go, and what else? And here comes the killer, because the amount of blood that goes to an organ is how that organ develops. That's why in a stressed person, more blood goes to the muscles. They develop, but less blood to the organs. They don't develop as well. Okay, now 
full circle, why did I get into this? Is that if the mother is stressed, then the blood vessels in the conscious part of the brain are constricted. And it's the hind brain that gets the extra blood and the extra building. And I say, then when this baby is born, what is it? You ready? A street fighter. It's got all the muscles and everything. Is it intelligent? Not that intelligent. Why? Shut down the brain, the conscious brain. So the statistics, I think, is somewhere near 50% of a child's potential IQ can be lost if the mother is under stress. Wow. And I say, oh, that's environment. That's environment through the mother passed on to the child through the the communication system of, of blood and, and growth media. That's that's very interesting because if you look at someone, uh, you know, labeled or diagnosed with this, what I call so-called disorder, ADHD, they pretty much act like street fighters, right? They're constantly on the move. They're like active. They're impulsive. They they they're pretty strong most of the time, right? They're strong-willed kids, and they have the potential to become smart or to become a genius. You can tell, but it almost there's an overlap there from what I heard you say. Well, yeah, it's how safe do they perceive their world? That's basically the bottom line. If your world's not safe, you sink inward consciously. Why? You disconnect. And this is the source of so many problems, uh, autism, uh, in, in one of the forms of autism is uh, 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 that early development period with no support. So in other words, a child who's left on its own, a child in an orphanage, a baby in an orphanage, okay? I go, what's the consequence? Remember, growth, I'm open, <laughs> I take things in. That's how you grow, I gotta eat. I take whatever is eating energy and love and emotion and whatever it is, I have to take it in. So growth is open. You go to the stimulus and you take it in. Mm. Okay. Protection is the complete opposite. If something is threatening you, you don't go to it and you don't stay open. You close yourself down for protection. So I say, so why is it relevant? Well, you can't be in growth and in protection at the same time. One is open. One is closed. One goes to the stimulus, the other one goes away from the stimulus. I say, you can't do those things at the same time. So when a child is in insecure situation, they're shutting down, they're in protection. They're walling themselves off enough that in the case of autism, they're not even communicating to the outside anymore. Why? It's too threatening. Okay. Yeah. I say, so then what? It hides inside. Okay. And I said, well, what level of that? And I could say from complete autism to any number, depending on it's a gradient. It's not on off switch. <laughs> it's not on off. It's a gradient. How much is in growth and how much is in protection? It's a variation. It's like mm. turning the volume, the two volume controls at the same time, <laughs> which one is going to happen? How much of your body, how much of your life is in the uh, culture medium of a vision that's not supporting you? And so it's the same with ADHD, right? What, we, what we're discovering is that the prefrontal cortex can only do one at a time. It can only try to stay alive or feel safe or grow and learn, but it can't do but both. See, but so grow, and growing and learning is the prefrontal cortex. Safety and protection is the hind. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and hindbrain is you're on automatic behavior. Habit has nothing to do with thinking. Nope. You, you know, Whatever so, gets, so, so that brain hijacks pretty much the, the energy and attention away from the prefrontal 
Yeah, but it's not right. hijacking. It's maybe the prefrontal gave it up. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I can't deal with this. You deal with it. Mm. I can't think. I'm not, I'm not thinking. I go, well, that you're, you, you don't have to think to be here. You know, you, you learned how to drive a car. That's a habit. That's a subconscious program. I go, so why is it relevant? Well, you paid attention for sure when you were learning how to drive. But now that you've been driving a while, you pay no attention to all those cues that you consciously paid attention to the first time you got in the car. You do it automatically. It's habitual. You don't even see it happening. It's a habit at that point. Okay. Uh, and, and so wow. uh, this is this is hind brain. It's just total habit. It can take over driving a car, having a conversation. Anything you've repeated in your life becomes a program. Okay. So is it fair to say that a child who's continuously exposed to stress programs its subconscious to take over when stress sets in, so he can survive? Absolutely. I can't be here for that. That's what autism is. So I can't be here. I'm being you know because one of the biggest you know sources there are many sources of this you know uh for for kids okay uh but one of the biggest sources is physical abuse of an infant and and when i said well what if you're that infant what are you going to do i said you're not going to keep your conscious mind present for this stuff and i said where's your conscious mind boom it's gone <laughs> okay i say so why is it relevant they're living a different alternative reality while that that violence is put on them and wow. in the conscious mind that becomes a real place wherever the hell it is with whatever vision they create i go so why because then adjust the blood and the body to do that and that's why uh you know kids on the uh what you know used to be called multiple personality i go what's relevant i say when they're one personality, they have a whole completely different picture of life and filters and everything. And the blood that emanates from the brain when they're in that personality adjusts the body to match that. So uh, a person may need glasses and personality A and a personality B with a different picture and everything, different chemistry. All of a sudden, they don't need glasses. They could read without the glasses. And I go, that's a fact anyway. So why is it relevant? It says, when we change those people, they change personality so vividly and so there's no connection. Boom, they're into somebody else. And now wow. guess what? They have a all new chemistry based on that person's identity. And the result of what? Chemistry causes behavior and biology. And I go, well, personality A has this biology, personality B has this biology, same body. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that brings me brings a, a, a up the the term label, right? So you said earlier that it's not necessarily the environment, it's but it's how we interpret our environment, and so therefore, when we label a child with a disorder, can you just talk about what that what happens to that child? Yeah, they on? become that they become that disorder. Just as I was saying, is that your, your mind can create any picture and manifest that reality: placebo, positive reactions, or nocebo. And I go, so why is it relevant? Well, consciousness controls our biology. I go, yes. But then what are we programmed with as infants? Oh, I never really, you know, we talked about the fact the brain needs programming before it can engage. The, the first seven years of a child's life, last trimester of pregnancy, first seven years of a child's life, the predominant brain activity wires on the head, electroencephalograph. The vibration is called theta. Theta is imagination. And that's what kids have. They grow up in a world of mixing real world and imagination uh, seamlessly. Whether it's a tea party and they pour nothing into the cup, they drink the nothing and then talk about how great the tea was, that's theta. 
But theta is hypnosis. And so why is it relevant? The answer, there's a reason why nature didn't do this to mess with us. Nature did it this way. A child is in a state of hypnosis up to about age seven. I said, it observes the mother, the father, the siblings in the community. I said, why? It's downloading how they behave. Why? A child has to be a functional member of a family and a functional member of community. And I say, well, to be a functional member, there are 100,000 rules. I go, yeah. How's a child going to learn that? And the answer is not by reading a book. Child learns it by because nature installed first seven years. Tell me about this culture. How do I know this culture? Mother, father, siblings, community. So the programs in your subconscious mind that are the programs to get the computer to work didn't come from you. They came from observing other people. And I go, so why is that relevant? I said, here comes the issue. <laughs> Conscious mind is creative. It can manifest anything. Subconscious mind is habit. The downloaded, the observe the habits and downloaded the habits. And you can create habits. Yes, you can learn how to drive a car by what? Repetition and practice. You can play an instrument, repetition and practice. Ride a bicycle, repetition, practice. Okay. So your first uh, uh, programs come in simply by observing other people. I say, why is it relevant? I, I know the rules. How? I didn't even have to read the book. I just recorded them. I recorded, this is how you behave. This is how it works. This is how it works. Why? Now my subconscious is back there with rules. Then I said, but at age seven, you can type on the keyboard. I go, oh, you mean I can change the action of the program? I go, yeah, it's called the conscious mind. That kicks in around age seven. I go, so why is that relevant? Because that's creative. <laughs> and I go, that, and now, now comes the issue. Now comes the issue that people have not understood and it's most profound. I go, what is that issue? And I go, Yes, the conscious mind is creative. And when I'm operating from that conscious mind, I am creating from wishes and desires. That's what it is. And I go, but <laughs> when we are thinking, using the conscious mind, not for creating, but for thinking, then the conscious mind's not looking out anymore. Thinking is looking in. I say, uh, Rama, tell me what you're doing on Wednesday at two o'clock. Now, if you don't see it in front of you, I bet you after a few moments of thinking, you can tell me what you're going to do. And I go, yeah, but guess what? The moment you were thinking, you let go of the control. It's sort of like imagine a steering wheel driving your life and the conscious mind's got its hands on it and it's going, what? Creative. Oh, I want love and happiness and joy and health. That's what I want. And I say, yeah, but the moment you're thinking, let go of the wheel. Yeah, but the vehicle's still moving. I go, yeah, subconscious now uh, takes the wheel. And now it's going to work according to the program, okay? So mm -hmm. your wishes drop out the window. You become the program at that point. And I go, so why is, why is this relevant? 95% of your day is not coming from conscious creative mind. It's coming from the program. You got a negative program and 95% of the day you're playing it. And then you're going to tell me, but no, I would know if I was playing it. And I go, no, you won't. I say, why not? Because you only play it when you're not paying attention. And then, uh, you know, for 30 years, I always say this because it's been 30 years, the same story. Until a better one, this is it. You have a friend, you know your friend's behavior. You know your friend's parent. And one day you see that your friend has the same behavior as the parent. So you 
volunteer. I love it. Here we go. Hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. Back away from Bill. The moment you say that, the first thing Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. Everyone laughs because somewhere along the line, they've had that experience. Uh, and then I go, so explain it. I go, of course I can explain it. He got the program of his behavior from his dad. When he's being conscious, he's creating his world. But the moment he's thinking, he lets go of looking out the window and is now inside and the automatic behavior is playing. And I go, so why is it relevant? I said, you didn't see the automatic behavior. Why? Because your consciousness wasn't looking. So everybody else can see the behavior by watching Bill. Bill's the only one that can't see it. Why? Because he's playing it when he's not paying attention. So he has no concept of what he's doing. And I go, well, that's where the, that's invisible part. I go, yeah, but that's 95% of the day. Then I go, so why? Is that relevant? Because everyone says, well, I woke up this morning, I had wishes of success, health, and happiness. But when I got home at five o'clock, nothing happened. It was just terrible out there. I go, and then what is the immediate consequence? You ready? I'm a victim. Why? Well, I wanted to be healthy. I wanted to be successful. And look at me. I go, Bill, we're all Bill. Every one of us is Bill. Every one of us is playing programs 95% of the day based on the programs that we got during development. If those programs are sabotaging us in any way at development, it will sabotage you the rest of your life and you won't see it. And that's why victimization comes in. And we, once you believe in victimization, then you have to look at the, you know, the, the hero who's going to come in and save you. And I say, when it comes to health, mental health, biological health, we were programmed as kids that who are we? It's the professionals that know the truth. So then I say, why is it relevant? Because we give up power to the professional because we acknowledge we're powerless. And I said, yeah, but not only do you give it up to them, but whatever they say now determines the rest of your life because you gave your belief system to mm -hmm. somebody else. They gave you their belief system and now it's yours. And so a diagnosis, a prognosis, labeling a child, the first thing you've done is already, you locked them into a damn box that his subconscious mind will play 95% of the time and he or she will be that person that was misprogrammed to play behavior that is characterized as misprogrammed. Wow. And what would you say that the, the other factor that comes up for parents often is like, well, it's a neurochemical imbalance and we need well, to balance a, it. Yeah, it's a neurochemical imbalance, but the imbalance is not broken mechanism. It's an imbalance from a normal pathway because the source sent the message that was not in balance. And the chemistry is going to complement the message. So if it's a chemistry, if it's a behavior that's not supporting you, of course the chemistry is not going to support you because that would be bypassing the brain. Mm. So, so uh, essentially, yeah. essentially, it's it's a uh, uh, let's say stress or trauma in a child's environment, and then the brain uh, uh, basically disorders the the, the tr regular chemical flow, but not because there's something wrong with the brain but because something happened or something's in the environment. Well, not something happened. It's a new vision of I'm creating myself based on my vision. Mm. And if my vision is not of one of health and, 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 you know, functioning properly or anything, but I create a program 
that I am dysfunctional, the system, okay, here goes Roman. Put this one in the box of, okay, and it goes like this. The function of the mind is to create coherence between your beliefs and your reality. If I have a negative belief, then the function of the mind is to manifest a negative reality to support my belief. If I believe shit, stuff is going to happen to me, and it happens, was that an accident? I go, no, I already intended it to happen, and the brain verified my belief. Yep, I knew that was going to happen. I go, wow, what a coincidence. It happened. I go, no, this is creation. You know, uh, and now this sounds like, oh, this is all this new agey stuff. And now I'm going to step one step back and give you the most profound thing in the world, the most valid science, planet Earth, the most powerful, the most truthful, the most important of all sciences is quantum physics. I go, well, that's a weird science. It might be weird, but it's the most valid of all sciences. And I go, so why is that relevant? You ready? Principle number one from the first day of quantum physics, consciousness is creating our life experiences. That's quantum physics. That is the law from Max Planck's. The mind is the matrix of all matter. And even just recently in Nature, an article from a quantum physicist, the concluding sentence, which I love because the articles look some physics and stuff, but the concluding sentence was, the universe is immaterial, it's mental and spiritual, live and enjoy. And that was the conclusion of a quantum physics, most valid science, scientific publication in the most prestigious scientific journal of planet, Nature. And it says the truth. This is an illusion of consciousness. But if you understand that, then you also recognize, well, I can use consciousness to affect my illusion. I go, well, of course you can. And then I go, yeah, but are you using your consciousness to create your world? Or are you using the consciousness that you've been programmed by other people to create the world? And if you find that you're having a problem, uh, you know, maybe the, 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 fun, the, funnest, the funnest summary, the movie The Matrix is not science fiction. It's a documentary. Everyone's been programmed. You had to have the program, otherwise the computer doesn't work, okay? Yeah. But in the movie, there's this option of take a red pill or a blue pill. You take the blue pill, you wake up in the morning, you're back in the program, life is exactly the way it's always been. Take the red pill and you get out of the program. I will now give you an example where most everybody in this audience has taken the red pill. And I go, the day you fell in love with somebody, head over heels in love was the day you took the red pill. I go, what do you mean? Well, up until that day, your life was blah, 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 blah. Then you meet this person, 24 hours later, life is, oh, life is so beautiful. It's heaven on earth. Oh, the honeymoon is so <laughs> Everything is great. The food, the music, even the stupid job is, oh, I love that. I love, love. I go, you mean blah, 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 your whole life. And then 24 hours after you met this person, you had a honeymoon, heaven on earth. I go, yeah, you know why? Because science has now recognized when you fall in love like that, you stay mindful, meaning you keep your conscious mind present. You're not thinking. Why? Well, the idea is why think when you've been looking for this your whole life, it's in front of your face. It's not time to think. It's time to be here now. 
And I go, so what does that mean? The first time in your life you stop playing the program. First time that 95% is not coming from your program. I it's totally got that, yeah. Wishes, wishes and desires, conscious mind, the creative one. I say, what'd you create? Honeymoon, what's that? Heaven on earth. I go, well, that was there all the time. It was only when the red pill came, love in this case, did you stop playing those programs that made it look like something else? And you created what? What you wanted. And I go, quantum physics, baby. Wow. Stop playing, stop playing the program, operate from consciousness, and then heaven on earth is a consequence. That's amazing. So, so then it's fair to say that I was going to ask you a question, right? I had written this down, like, how can parents rewire their children's brains? And, and I'm assuming that the parents first have to take the red pill themselves. A hundred percent. And this is the, this is the, let me, the crux of the problem. I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to say, I'm going to be the most wonderful conscious parent. I'm going to, this baby's going to have the conscious, beautiful. I go, that's great. Uh, how much of your time with that baby are you in that state of mind of consciousness where you can express this consciousness? And I go, 5%. And so why is it relevant? 95% of that child's experience of you is like the Bill story. <laughs> They're seeing that behavior that you're not paying attention to, but they have to because they're being programmed to watch and download in a state of theta. And if they watch the conscious parent, who's conscious 5% of the time, that's great. But when the conscious parent is in 95% subconscious, child's still recording that. And, and so they, you know, how profound is that here? Wow. Listen to this. When a child is adopted into a family where there's cancer running in that family, the adopted child will get the same family cancer with the same probability as any of the siblings, except the child adopted came from totally different genetics. What was the point? The cancer wasn't the genes, it was the behavior that was conflicting with the harmony of a system and the expression of bad driving, so to speak. If you're a bad driver, your vehicle will break down. I go, absolutely. Uh, 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 and this is where 90% or more of health problems come from. Don't blame the machine. We've always blamed the machine because we said everything was genes and it's like less than 1%. All of a sudden I said, well, then you better start looking. There's another world. There's another way of seeing. There's a healthier, more empowering way. Get out of the program and reprogram. Because once you reprogram, then whatever new program you put in, guess what? Without any effort, no effort, it's working 95% of the day without you even knowing you were doing it in the first place. And so yeah. if you put in programs of positive things, then 95% of the day, you can think away whatever you want. But if the automatic program is designed to give you positive things, then by function of the mind is to manifest those and make them real, you manifest a wonderful life and you didn't even put the effort in. That's almost like having a personal artificial intelligence that works for us when we're living life and we program Not it. like it is. This is. <laughs> this is an intelligence, but you have to remember the intelligence that's working in the background is a program. We didn't just show up with it genetically. That didn't happen that way. It was right. downloaded. And Which, if there's defects in downloading, this will contribute to it. 
Um, One thing that's very interesting, I just put this in because conscious parenting should consider this. When a neonate, a newborn baby is crawling around on the ground, you know, when they get to that stage, their design by nature is if they come across something that they don't know, the first thing they do is look at the parent's face. The parent's face, they learn within the first two weeks of life, they know if the parent is happy or the parent is angry or the parent is sad because they learn in the first two weeks by looking at the parent's eyes and face to distinguish. That's two weeks of an infant. Why? It's predicated on the survival of that infant to understand the message just given by the face of the parent because it's dependent on the parent. If the parent's afraid, then the child's like, afraid. <laughs> okay? So I say, why is it relevant? Well, I'll give an example. Uh, kids are on a, a playground swinging on the swings. Uh, the kid falls off the swings, laying on the ground. If the mother is over there on the bench, the first thing the kid does is look at the mother's face. And if she's like, then the kid will start crying. But if he lands on his face, turns around and sees his mother going, get up, you know, like, everything's okay, get up. Then the kid gets up and there's no crying. Why? It was based on the fear of the mother that I'm hurt. I'm now crying. <laughs> okay. And I go, so now here comes the next part. When that baby is crawling around, and this is where parents, this is very difficult because it's not part of a understanding so much. The built-in genetic behavior of that child is if it comes across something new is to look at the face of the parent. I go, why? Because that's the sign of whether this thing is safe or this thing is not safe. So then I say, so what? And I go, well, most parents have no knowledge of this, so they pay no attention to it. <laughs> and I go, so why is it relevant? Every time the child's looking around, looking for a cue, is this thing good or bad? And no one is giving a cue. Things are now out of kilter because it doesn't know what this is about. And mm-hmm. its attention is redirected continuously, looking for a sign looking for a sign and parents do not recognize the importance of eye contact with that child. The child looks at your face and if you're not paying attention, there's no feedback for that child puts it in a very precarious position. Interesting. Yeah. My wife was one, sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 please do. Uh, is is relevant to this. My wife was wondering when we were talking, cause we're doing this project together. She was wondering if a father in my case, and I take responsibility, I wasn't very present at the beginning, the, the beginning years, I was very distracted. And I, you, I think you just answered my question, but you said, does, does a father who, who doesn't have an, enough self-love acceptance and boundaries in life, does that get then passed on to the child in the early years? Absolutely, 100%. Hmm. Because it's, it's role-playing. That's to say, uh, you know, if I'm a male conventionally, but that's changing, was then whatever that male is, the father, that's, that's, what I'm, I'm, that's my behavior. Yeah. Girls, well, and then you look at the mother, that's a whole different thing, because now you look at the mother, that's my partner. So they'll seek some pattern to find that when they're looking for a partner. Same thing with girls. They look at mother, that's my program. And they look at father, that's my partner. Wow. You see? Why? Because that's the program of this relationship that's going on. And if it's not really a good relationship, it doesn't make any difference why it's still downloaded. 
Mm. Uh, download what you see. That's the real world for that baby. So the yeah. worst environment is the worst programming. And then there's a gradation. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be rich environment because rich people have just equally as garbage programming of their kids as poor people in some sense, but they got a better background to do it from. But, but the fact is, it's like, no, there are a lot of rich people who are totally screwed up <laughs> because no one has emphasized the nature of epigenetics. How we are programmed to see the world determines our genetic programming, our behavior, our health, our life characteristics. And we give short shrift to it. It's like, oh, that's, you know, that's parenting. I go, what do you mean parenting? I said, that's the future of evolution of civilization. How they program their children changes yep. the future of this planet. And all of a sudden, parenting, which got, you know, like, oh, yeah, parenting. I go, no, no, parenting is one of the most important jobs because it's the future that you're programming with your child. Wow. I, I, you've been very generous with your time. I just have one more question, if that's okay. Yes. Um, so it sounds to me going full and full circle that we're living in a society that's not willing to be responsible for what, what we've manifested in our lives. And we'd rather be victims, you know, so we get the no, payoff. No, no. You see, that, that's almost like I have a decision that I'd rather be this or I'd rather be that. They have no alternate perception that there was something other than what they were programmed. That's the way it is. Mm. Not though I have a choice. I could be this. I said, no, no. Most people, that's the way it is because that is exactly what the program is. So it's not like, well, I could be better, but I won't. <laughs> I go, no, no, that's, that's not a choice because it's not in their system to recognize there was an alternate that was real. So it's not a choice until they take the red pill and do the work, right? That's right. There's a Free point where you have to look at your life and, uh, you know, and very quickly just to close on it, it's very important because most of the programming occurred before you were seven and most of it occurred even before you, you were conscious, <laughs> you know, in the sense that, okay, you were programmed for a whole year from zero to one, a lot of programming. Oh, you were programmed a whole year from one to two. You were programmed a whole year from two to three. I go, well, okay, tell me the program you got when you were zero. Okay, tell me the program you got when you were one, two. And then you start to realize, I have no idea. And I go, 95% of your life came from the programming during that period. So if you want to know what the program is, you look at your life right now. Simple. This is cool. All the things you like that come into your life and you love those things, if they come into your life, you have a program to acknowledge them. But, and the big capital underlined bold print, but those things that you have to work hard on, struggle for, sweat over, put so much effort in, I'm making this happen, I'm working, I'm working, I'm gonna make this happen, I'm working. I go, why are you working so hard? And the answer inevitably is the program you receive doesn't support that. And you're gonna try with your conscious mind to override that subconscious program, which is throwing all the negative things in front of you. And then your mind is trying to challenge each other. And I go, it's a losing battle because this conscious creative one is 5% and the conventional life is 95% from the other one. How's the computer, the 5% small computer going to manifest change over this? And the answer is not easily unless you reprogram it. <laughs> and, and that's possible. Otherwise, this whole discussion would be garbage. 
because it'd be like, oh, I am stuck genetically. I go, no, you're not. <laughs> you can change all of that. That's and amazing. That yeah, I think, honestly, I feel like perhaps the episode title could be there is no ADHD gene because there really no. isn't. No. ADHD you know, behavior. And I said, where'd you get it from? It was contagious. You got it from your family. <laughs> it was passed on for generations and generations until some member of a family says, I am changing this behavior. I am reprogramming this behavior. And it's interesting because my brother had a first wife and a kid and he was, you know, that was early and he didn't know squat. But he got married again and he was having a baby. And I remember when he said to me one day, he said, the buck stops here. I'm not letting this programming that we got from our family to go into this kid. And for a guy with tattoos and hard hat and all that stuff and motorcycle, he would read to his son every night before going to bed, be with him every night and do this. And his son is just a marvelous man now, but it was an intention. I am not passing this on to the next generation. Wow, that's a that's a powerful story and certainly hits home because my wife and I are redesigning our, our marriage and the family and I take responsibility for not having been present, right? I was there, but I wasn't, like you said, the feedback wasn't coming back. Right. My child. But there's all of this is changeable. And then all of a sudden, so why is that important? And the most important fact is this. I am not a concrete victim, which is that's my life. I go, the moment you can change your awareness is the moment you've taken power back. Uh, and from as my brother and I grew up in the same dysfunctional family, and I, had, I couldn't get a relationship to last me anything for the first 40 years. But uh, once I started to understand this, once I started to reflect on my behavior, why I got always the same problems, because I was repeating my parents' behavior over and over. Uh, once I was aware enough, then I met my partner, Margaret. And she is also involved in the belief change business and, you know, workshops and stuff. And so we both knew this. And then we said, look, here's an opportunity. If I have a bad behavior and it shows up like Bill and I can't see it, but you can see it, then we can have a discussion and I can change it. Most people never, don't cause a discussion. The partner A sees partner B with a behavior that they didn't play because for the first honeymoon, they never played the negative programs. Then all of a sudden they start showing up and the partner goes, who are you? Where did that come from? And then that's the beginning of the argument. And I go, so what's the matter? I said, well, you're arguing now with a person who's created a behavior they didn't even know they had. <laughs> well, now you're in problem. Everybody's in problem here. But if both people in relationship recognize that these behaviors show up when the subconscious is automatically playing, if it's a negative behavior rather than an argument, it's an opportunity to say, oh, wait, I don't necessarily want that behavior. Let's rewrite it. Uh, and you can change that behavior. Mm. And then if you, like Margaret and I, <laughs> after doing this for, for a period of time, it's like, most of most all of the negative, you know, things that would have caused a knee jerk reaction gone. That I ended up a guy who couldn't even get a relationship writing a book called The Honeymoon Effect, which is what 
creating heaven. That's how the hell you did it. <laughs> you stop playing the program. If you understand that, then you have power. If you don't see the program, then you're like, Bill, you're the victim. And that's the wake up call for everybody, myself, for you, and for everyone on this line right now to recognize this is not an accident. <laughs> That's great. I love uh, recently interviewed Peter Bregan, and he said um, uh, ADHD should be called dads, which is dad attention deficit syndrome, because most <laughs> most fathers are not present because they're running around like chickens with their head cuts on, you know, because no one if anybody had been programmed, uh, you see, and the thing is this, once your child is programmed with this really good kind of behavior, then it's unconscious for them to pass this on this good behavior on as our parents were not conscious of their behavior passed on the negative ones to us. There's a point, like my brother said, this, you know, the buck stops here. This is it. I'm not passing this on anymore, but you have to be aware enough to own you're not necessarily a victim because if you victim is that status as oh, I had no control, it's not my responsibility. And if I say victim, then it means oh, I'm poor me, poor me. Go, yeah, yeah, no victim. We're creators, no. yeah, there's no power in that. No, no power, victim is the absolute giving up of power, yeah. Well, uh, Bruce Lipton, I really appreciate, uh, I don't know if I call you Dr. Lipton or Bruce, Bruce, you know, Bruce it's been an amazingly inspiring, uh, insightful, mind-blowing conversation. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. And I know some parents are going to get something out of this because that ADHD is not genetic. That's a big shock to a lot of people, yes. you know, yes. and there's, there's power in, in just getting that we, we have control over the genes. That, that is, that's the secret of reprogramming victim to master. And almost everybody is now, by definition, a victim by programming. And yet mastery is not elusive. It just takes a, knowledge as power. New knowledge, new power. Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you so much again. Maybe in the future we'll do a follow-up, but I really appreciate you and your time. Okay, Bruce. Thank you, Roman. And I uh, appreciate you uh, doing this and bringing this out in the world. And I appreciate very much the audience because they're looking for answers. Then these are some really positive, positive things to look at in life in the world that looks kind of scary all the time. This well, thanks to, thanks to people like you. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Be well. Bye. Bye.